All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern. Welcome in. It is May 2nd, and this is a very special edition of the Daily Face-Off Show. Tyler Uremchuk and Frank Saravalli with you, and we are not going to be alone. We will have eight different analysts joining us over the course of the next hour to break down the eight first-round matchups. Frank, it felt like a crawl through the end of the regular season, but we are finally here. The Stanley Cup playoffs begin tonight, and we have some doozy first-round matchups. Yeah, this is like Christmas morning. I mean, after that regular season, 204 days later for a while, as you mentioned, it felt like it was dragging on. We'd known the eight playoff teams in the East since January. And the reward at the other end is this bracket that we take a look at here. Uh, No first round matchup is going to be boring. I can tell you that. No, they will not. And that's why we are going to go through each and every single one. Like I said, over the course of the next hour here. So let's not waste any time. Let's get into our first series preview as we are joined by David Alter from the LeafsNation.com. David, live at the rink right now. So we got some great sounds and this is going to be an intense first round matchup between the Leafs and Lightning. David, I'll start with this first question. Is it fair to say that no one is facing more pressure than the Toronto Maple Leafs to come out of the first round? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Look, they haven't advanced past the first round by day. I mean, the Toronto Maple Leafs since 2004. And every year, it seems like they're inching closer and closer to do it. The expectation increases with each year. And for one reason or another, something happens and they don't get the job done. And so now 
they go up against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions in the, in the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it looks like it's a challenge that they're embracing. They didn't do anything to avoid this opponent. Uh, they had a, a, a 115-point season, a franchise record. Uh, they they look like they're firing on all cylinders. There are a couple of question marks that I'm sure we'll get to, but uh, they look ready to go, and it's just a matter of if they can actually finally get through that hump that is that first-round uh, exit that they seem to have with each and every year. David, when you look at the Leafs and Lightning on paper, the Leafs are one team that can score with the best of the teams in the East. I think maybe there's a slight mismatch defensively when you have a Norris Trophy candidate in Victor Hedman on the blue line, but what really stands out on paper is the matchup in net. Jack Campbell against Andre Vasilevsky. How do you feel about Campbell's game? You take a look at the games played in the month of April since he came back from that injury. 7-0-2 with a 9-15 save percentage. Much better, but is it enough to give you confidence heading into round one? Yeah, you know what? It's tough. It's all going to depend on how he comes out. And you know what? He might actually have a good game or two and look like he's past it. What I'm really curious to see is what happens if he is a reason for a goal against and how he responds. It tends to be uh, these swings where if if one bad break goes against him, then it escalates. And then you're kind of wondering, well, okay, now is this the bad Jack Campbell that we saw in the later part of December and January and February and a little bit of March as well. So uh, that's what I'm most curious about. Andre Vasilevsky, you know, he hasn't had the year that he's had maybe in years past, but he's still Andre Vasilevsky and he's still... Uh, like a big part of, of what Tampa's accomplished. So Jack Campbell, uh, he had a great last year, good playoffs in his first experience against Montreal last year. It wasn't the reason that, that Toronto didn't get past that, but uh, the the drops that he's had in his play are still a bit of a concern to me, and I'm curious to see how he responds after maybe the first mistake he makes, if he's able to brush that off and, and do what good goaltenders just have a short memory. David, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the blue line here because I look at this lightning top six and it, it's dangerous and specifically the top line like Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov were on fire to end the season here. When you look at this Leafs blue line, who's going to be tasked to maybe shut down that high-end duo on Tampa and are they up to that kind of challenge? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because the Leafs have been rolling two top pairs just because they have Ilya Labushkin and Riley. And Labushkin doesn't really have the reps as a first-pair shutdown guy. A TJ Brody, who's been their main shutdown guy, is going with Jake Muzzin, who, when Jake Muzzin's healthy, has been the go-to guy for that assignment. But he's had dips in his play, and this is a real big evaluation game for him. So it, it could be quite split up. It's funny. Like, when you look at Morgan Riley, he seems to be the first-pair guy always who's going to get those difficult assignments. But then when they roll out rushes, they've been having... TJ Brody and whoever his defensive pair, in this case, Jake Muzzin, as the, as the main guy for it. So I think they're going to have to try and figure that out as the game goes along. I would see a split there. And if Jake Muzzin can be that shutdown guy he's, he's been, then I think that that pair probably gets a little bit more of the reps just because of the inexperience with someone like Ilya Labushkin, who really is a newcomer to this league and a newcomer to this team. David, can you give us a quick update from the morning skate today on the health of the Leafs? It sounds like Andre Kasha in, Michael Bunting out, but how far away is Bunting from being an impact on the series? Yeah, Bunting is, uh, it looks like he's close. They've said he's been close, and I know they were 
optimistic a week ago or so when the injury happened that he would be ready. But I guess they're, they're being really cautious. And having someone like Andre Kasha back who will play tonight, I think kind of helps mitigate that. There's concerns about what the first line would look like with Matthews and Marner when you put someone like Alex Kerfoot up because Sheldon Keith doesn't like how it affects the mid-pairs. But getting Andre Kasha back gives him that luxury. They said he'll be back. At, uh, Bunting will be back at some point in the series. They just don't know when. But he's skating. He looks good out there. I think they're just being super cautious to make sure he doesn't have a setback and he gets in a bit too early than they would like and then risk uh, the fact that they wouldn't have him for the remainder of the series if something worse happened. All right, David, let's wrap this up. Give us your pick. How do you see this series playing out and in how many games? Who's coming out on top? Uh, I think the Leafs are going to take this one in six. I actually debated this one for a long time. I really like the way the Leafs have played in the last couple months of the season when they didn't have the threat of trade deadline or, or what the team was going to look like. Tampa's had their their peaks and valleys. They've looked good in the last little bit, and they've had someone like Stamkos who's putting up the points. But they've had their stretches where they haven't looked as sharp as, as the past, and it's it's going to be hard for them to replicate the success of the past years. You don't see three peaks too often. I think this is where it kind of ends, and I think Toronto does squeak this out in six or seven, but I think they could actually do it in six. David Alter from the Leafs Nation going to be covering this series like a blanket. Appreciate your time, David. Get back to covering that practice now. Thanks, guys. All right, let's bring in Jason Greger now to talk about the Edmonton Oilers and the Los Angeles Kings in round one. All right, let's uh, let's jump into it here with Jason Greger from OilersNation.com and TSN 1260. Jason, let's start with the Oilers side of this matchup. And this is a team they entered the playing against Chicago and also last year against Winnipeg in the first round as favorites in those series. And they didn't find a way to find any sort of success. Is this year's Oilers team better built for playoff success than the teams in years past? Yeah, I really don't think it's close, to be honest, guys. Just look at their left wing. Evander Kane, Zach Hyman, Warren Fogle. Those are the top three left wingers. None of them were here last year. Then you throw in CeCe, Kulak, and Keith on the back end. You know, there's six key players that, that are new to the team. And I, I do think the heartache of the orders, and it's funny, they're taking on the Kings. And if uh, you go back to 1982, the Edmonton orders had 48 more points than the Kings that year, and they lost to the Kings. And then the next year they went to the cup final. Then, of course, then they started winning cups. And th- that team talked about, you need some pain, right? The Tampa Bay Lightning 2019 got swept by Columbus. It happens. I think the Edmonton orders are, are a much, uh, they've got a little bit of scar tissue now built up. So I think that they're going to be mentally tougher after last year's disappointment to Winnipeg. Jason, talk to us about Mike Smith and the season that he's had. It sort of mirrors in a lot of ways the Oilers. You know, Smith couldn't get healthy for a while and was a big reason why their play dropped off a bit after December 1st. But he's really found his game in the last number of weeks. What's your confidence level in Smith? And he's been a proven playoff performer in the past, but where's his game at right now? Well, you know what's interesting, Frank? Uh, Mike Smith, the last two seasons, uh, there's 39 goalies who've started at least 50 games. Mike Smith has the sixth best save percentage. He's been really good, except for a five-game stretch when, as you said, he, you know, he had come off an injury and then he, he re-aggravated an injury. He had five games between December 29th and February 9th, which is like six weeks. And he only played five times. He wasn't very good. Other than that, he's been excellent. The way he's played here the last five weeks is arguably being the best hockey he's played maybe in his career. 
right? Like in the month of April, the Oilers were the second best team at goals against per game in the NHL. And Mike Smith has been leading that. He, he had won uh, 11 in a row at one point, 10 in a row at one point for him. Uh, he's been outstanding and uh, he gives them a lot of confidence with his puck handling ability. Uh, he really helps what I think still is maybe the, the weakness of the Oilers is their defense uh, core. I, I don't think they're big enough for a long playoff run. Maybe I'm wrong. But uh, Mike Smith will help them not have to take a lot of contact because he's so good at playing the puck. But uh, Mike Smith is he's been excellent, really, for the orders uh, ever since he came back. To me, the concern isn't if Mike Smith plays well. The only small concern is, does he get injured? Because when he's played, he's actually played quite well, excluding five games. Jason, I want to get your take on this matchup from the L.A. Kings perspective. If they're going to find a way to come out on top of this series, I guess my question is, what is the L.A. Kings path to victory here? How can they beat the Edmonton Oilers? Oh, I think it starts with Phil Deneau. Phil Deneau is going to have to find a way to do what he did to Austin Matthews last season. Remember, Austin Matthews had one goal in that series against Montreal. Deneau was outstanding, shutting him down. And now the difference was John Tavares got hurt and then they didn't really have another center, right? To go to Alex Kerfoot. If you can contain McDavid a bit, they still have dry settle. So it's a little bit different, but I think really the key for the King's success is going to come with Phil Deneau and can he contain McDavid? I think it's a monumental task, but that, that's really the only way I see the Kings being successful. All right, Jason, give us your pick. Who wins and how many games? Uh, I see the orders winning this one, guys. I, I don't think it's going to be over overly close when it comes to games played. I think the, you know you'll look at shots and the, and the scores. Maybe LA can play good defensive game, but I say Edmonton wins in five. Perfect. Thanks for your time, Gregs, and uh, another reporter live at the arena. We appreciate you giving us a few minutes, Jay. Boys, enjoy it. Love the playoffs. All right, let's get into our next series here and talk a little about the NHL's President's Trophy winner, the Florida Panthers, with Ryan S. Clark of The Athletic. Ryan, this regular season was so dominant for the Florida Panthers. I mean, this is a team that was setting records for their goal scoring. Do you think there's any sort of concern that they might struggle to get their play up to a playoff level, considering just how easily they kind of breezed through the last few months of the season? You know, it's interesting because it all depends upon your perspective. So let's look at the playoffs just as an example. The last time they won a playoff series was the 1995-96 season, the same year they went to the Stanley Cup. And when you think about their roster, some of the guys on that roster weren't even born yet. That's how long it's been. But at the same time, this has also been the most successful period the Panthers have had. They've made the postseason three straight years. Of course, there's the the year of the the playing in the bubble, the qualifying round, and of course, the last two years they've made it. But in terms of their scoring, it's just been about balance. Of course, we all know Jonathan Uberdo finished in the top five in points over 80 games. Alexander Barkov had 88 and 67, which if he had played 80 games, that would have been a 105-point pace. But when you look at the balance, again, Barkov, Uberdo, Anthony Duclair, and Sam Reiner all finished with at least 30 goals. Sam Bennett had 28. Carter Verhage at 24. They had four players. Excuse me. They had more than four players. I apologize. They had quite a few players around 11 or 12 that finished with more than 40 points. In fact, it ended up being around 13 that finished with more than 10 goals. So the thing is this, the scoring balance appears to be there. But again, you're talking about how it'll look in the playoffs, which with this team, that's even been their big MO. They've admitted like for all the things they've done this season and in previous seasons and the success they've had, it's how do you make that translate into winning a playoff series? Well, a big way they could make that translate, Ryan, would be Aaron Ekblad on defense. What's the latest with Ekblad and his health as he's working his way back from a pretty significant injury? 
Well, just from what was said yesterday at practice, it seems like he's starting to kind of get back to that point. They're currently practicing right now, but the thought is, is he someone that you could see in this series? And if he does, that is going to make a huge difference because when you look at Aaron Eckblad's numbers, you're talking about the kind of season that if he doesn't get injured, where does he rank in the Norris discussion, a Norris discussion that obviously has been dominated by Kale McCarr, Roman Yossi. But when you look at other players like a Victor Hedman, an Adam Fox, a Charlie McAvoy, Jacob Slavin, like Aaron Eckblad would be in that conversation. And for some people, he probably is. It's just when you look at how voting is going to go, it goes back to the games played for him. Ryan, if we look at this Panthers team, or if maybe we're looking at this again from like a Washington perspective, is there a weak spot for the Panthers that you think the Capitals can exploit? Or is this going to be a series where, hey, if the Panthers just play their game, have that B plus or A minus level kind of performance night in, night out, they'll roll through? There's a couple things. The first is let's go back to the experience. I mean, the Capitals have been where the Panthers want to go and not only just winning a Stanley Cup, but having playoff success. But it also goes back to this, too. We think about those early years of Alexander Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom and the like, and it took time for them to win a Stanley Cup. Whereas if you look at the Florida Panthers, what is the realistic expectation for this season? I mean, they had the best record in the league, but like, what do people realistically expect? And that's where it goes back to, so how will they perform? Yes, they're the overwhelming favorite to win this series. But at the same time, like, what does that look like given just their history? But if you're looking for an area, maybe there's two. The first is let's look at goaltending, especially Sergei Bobrovsky. Like, so this year, Sergei Bobrovsky, he was a 39-game winner with a 2.67 goals against, 913 save percentage. But at the same time, he's won two of the six playoff starts he has had with the Florida Panthers. And when you think about what he did last year, 5.33 goals against, 841 save percentage. And in his career, he's 13-23 and 23 with a 3.24 GAA and a point. 89.9 save percentage. It's what makes Spencer Knight so important. Of course, we saw what he did last year going one and one with a 2.06 GAA and a 0.933 save percentage. But another thing to look at is this. The Panthers own the puck. That is what they do. They led the league in shot at 10 percentage. And it was a super, super, super high number at 65.72%. But if you are the Capitals, you want to try to find a way to get high danger chances. Because when you look at it, the, the Panthers allowed the 22nd most high danger chances per 60 and five on five play according to natural stature. But at the same time, they were the eighth. They were eighth in allowing the fewest high danger goals per 60. So you got to try to find those chances and convert when you can. So Ryan, give us your pick. Who wins the series and in how many games? You're not getting me on that one. That's you and Tyler. You guys are the pick crew. So I, I'm just the objective reporter, man. But let's just say this. You look at what all the numbers suggest. It seems to think that the Panthers win this series in around five or six. It was worth a try. That's Ryan S. Clark from The Athletic, who is now covering the Florida Panthers throughout their playoff run. You're used to seeing him on the Kraken and throughout NHL national stories. Looking forward to your coverage, Ryan, throughout the Panthers playoff run. Let's now bring in Mike McKenna, our daily faceoff analyst, to talk about what a series that is going to be a titanic matchup between the St. Louis Blues and the Minnesota Wild. Mike, so glad to have you alongside to cover a series right in your backyard there in St. Louis. When you look at this matchup, two teams that are among the hottest teams in the NHL, actually two and three, the Wild and Blues since the NHL's trade deadline in terms of points percentage and record. I think the only shame of it is that they have to meet up in the first round and one of them is going home. 
Is there any edge that stands out to you in terms of looking at these two teams on paper? Well, there can be in some ways. I mean, when you look at the power play of the St. Louis Blues matched up against the penalty kill of the Minnesota Wild, I think special teams definitely favor the Blues. But in a playoff setting, we still don't know what we're going to get. The NHL has instructed their referees and officials to call to the same letter uh, to the same standard that they had during the regular season. So we'll see if it factors in. But to me, the bottom line with this matchup is that the Minnesota Wild are a better team off, better team defensively than the St. Louis Blues. They're able to shut down uh, quality chances against. They've been able to keep things largely uh, you know, to the outside for their goaltenders. Of course, Cam Talbot and Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, but the, the conversely, though, the Blues have been an incredible rush team this season, and they have a phenomenal power play. So the pointy end of the Blues is that they've been scoring at almost five goals a game in the, down the last stretch here. Uh, they're one of the best puck passing teams on the league. They can really snap it around. So um, I do think that <clears throat> overall picture, Minnesota should be the team that comes out on top in this series, given the way they can play defense. And they can score, and they have the true game changer in this series. Okay, for me, Kirill Kaprizov, best offensive player in the series, superstar. But I want to see how Vladimir Tarasenko matches up. And I know the Blues are a deeper team when it comes to depth scoring, but I think that one-on-one, -on -one, Frank, could be really, really interesting to see how it plays out. You talked about the defensive play of the Minnesota Wild maybe being a difference maker for them. From the Blues' perspective, can you give me what – maybe might be their sort of X factor heading into this series. Like, you know, maybe like complete the sentence. The Blues will win this series if blank. The Blues will win this series if they can manage to keep Minnesota from entering their zone with a ton of speed and exposing gaps all over the ice. Because at times when St. Louis has gotten themselves into trouble, it hasn't just been rush chances. It's also been zone entries that have allowed other teams to set up and get playing in their own defensive zone. And to me, a lot of that for St. Louis just has to do with how they play all over the ice. Are their gaps tight? Are they supporting the puck? When St. Louis doesn't support the puck, they turn it over pretty often and it goes back the other direction. They have to move as a five-man unit up and down the ice. And for me with St. Louis, when they don't do that well, things can go bad the other direction. But you do look at how this series has played out. St. Louis has won all three games this year against the Minnesota Wild head-to-head, -head, but two of those have had to take extra innings to do so. They have been close games. I love the extra innings reference there, Mike. Uh, the other question I have for you was between the pipes, like Minnesota, they have a bit of a decision to make in terms of do you go Talbot or Flurry? Talbot's been sensational down the stretch. St. Louis, I mean, the back and forth in the crease there, that's been well documented this year. Give us your breakdown of each of these two teams in terms of what we can be expecting between the pipes. For two teams that have really good depth and goal as it stands, I actually think goaltending is going to be less of a factor in this series than we might make it out to be. Now, we're going to get to play the fun game of who's starting for each team. And I don't know who's going to go for the Minnesota Wild. We had Jeremy Rutherford on our daily face-off show the other day uh, from The Athletic in St. Louis who said that Vili Husso is expected to be the starting goalie for the St. Louis Blues. And I would expect that there. But you look at the work that the defensive unit has done in front of Minnesota to allow their goalies to succeed. They've suppressed shots, but they've also gotten good help from their netminders. Marc-Andre Fleury, 9-2 and two since coming over at the trade deadline. Cam Talbot hasn't lost in regulation since March 1st. Now, their numbers look very similar. The, there's two things, though, I think here. Marc-Andre Fleury played the last game of the year against the Colorado Avalanche, played well, 
allowed one goal and 28 shots. It was a depleted avalanche lineup, but he did play that last game. And that always makes me think maybe a coach is leaning towards playing that goaltender if it was the last game of the year. Conversely, you know, you look at it and Dean Evason has given Cam Talbot the net a lot of the season and Talbot's been so good. So I don't know what to expect in, in Minnesota. It could be either goaltender. I think that there's a decent chance we see a true rotation there, even without back-to-back games. But I do believe Vili Huso this year with his 919 save percentage, 25 wins for the St. Louis Blues. He only lost seven times in regulation. He was really strong for them, especially in his first full campaign. Bennington's won his last five starts, but they were against a little bit lesser competition. Huso got the tougher games down the stretch. I believe that's who we're going to see in goal, but I think he's going to have a short leash given this is his first playoff experience. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see who the Wild end up starting in game one, and then we'll go from there. Mike, give us your pick. Who wins the series and in how many games? I took the St. Louis Blues in seven games, and it's more of a gut feeling because I I think that their offensive prowess really peaked at the right time of the year, got points, and I can't even remember how many games in a row, 16, 17. It was a lot of games in a row. And I I think that this club right now with St. Louis, even though they have defensive deficiencies, they have been able to outscore teams. And the matchup itself, having seen St. Louis go 3-0 against Minnesota this year, even in tight battles... I think it favors them over the course of a long series. If Minnesota gets out to an early lead, though, I would take them at many less games than seven. It's bananas to see how good these two teams have been down the stretch. In their last 50 games combined, these two teams have lost a grand total of six games in regulation. Can't wait to watch it. Can't wait to read your coverage on dailyfaceoff.com. Mike, enjoy the series. Thanks a lot for joining us. Let's get to Tyler Remchuk now for our Daily face-off, daily bet segment. We're calling it the playoff edition. You've taken a look at points bet and what's going on over there. Tyler, give us the goods. Yeah, well, let's start uh, with the big one. This is what everyone wants to hear about. Odds to win the Stanley Cup. And it should surprise really no one that the Colorado Avalanche are sitting at the top here. They more or less went wire to wire this season as the betting odds favorites to win the Stanley Cup at plus 325. I'll be honest, I don't like that spot. Plus 325, that's just, that's not juicy enough for me to consider a long-term bet on the Avs, especially when you look at the second round opponent. If they get out of the first round, they either get St. Louis or Mini. That is a tough, tough matchup. So I don't love that. Florida next at five to one, it's a little bit better. Calgary at seven to one, I think is interesting just because again, you look at their path from the first round to even just the conference finals. And it's a little bit clearer. And I don't really want to say easier because winning in the playoffs is not easy. But I I have an easier time getting the feel that Calgary can go on a run to the conference finals than even I do about a team like the Colorado Avalanche. At 10 to 1, you have both the Lightning and the Maple Leafs. Fascinating. Two teams, 10 to 1 to win the cup. One of them's not making it out of the first round. Carolina coming in at 12 to 1. Minnesota at 16 to 1. The New York Rangers at 16 to 1 is really, really interesting to me. If I was going to put any money on sort of a long shot, someone in the bottom half of this odds board like the Rangers are, they're my pick at 16 to 1 to win the Stanley Cup. You know you need goaltending in the postseason. And Igor Shesterkin, he can be that guy, in my opinion. Obviously, I mean, he's about to have a Vezin trophy to back it up. You have the Oilers at 17 to 1, the Bruins at 18 to 1, and then it gets wrapped up with the real long shots. And it's Pittsburgh and St. Louis at 20 to 1. The Caps at 40 to 1 and the Stars and Preds at 50 to 1 before you get to the Kings at 60 to 1. Frank, I'm going to get into some series specific stuff, 
But first, is there one of those teams that really stands out to you in terms of the odds to win the Stanley Cup? Yeah, I like the Minnesota Wild. They're the team that I actually picked to win the Stanley Cup, and we'll go through our brackets a little bit later on. Some decent value, but with the road that they have to go through, no guarantee, obviously, that they win their first-round series against St. Louis. That's a true coin flip. And then I just think if they can get past that, that they're a team that could give the uh, Colorado Avalanche all they can handle and more in the second round. So the Wild at 16-1 to would be my sort of long-shot pick. It's it's always tough to nail the exact Stanley Cup winner, but I do think there is some money to be made in terms of the series prices here. And there's a handful of bets I really like. I'm going to share four of them, though, as we jump over to that, starting with the series at the top where this line has been. It's been shifting. The Bruins are now even money to win this series. And I'll be honest, I think that's an OK spot. I, I the Freddie Anderson question mark is huge, in my opinion. And uh, I, I just think Boston at even money is is a good enough pick considering the price also in this next series frank i want to ask you a question <clears throat> excuse me uh leading score in tampa toronto give me your pick uh i'm gonna say leading goal scorer that would be uh austin matthews uh, as tyler is just absolutely gagging here um and and i would say what's interesting though is are we talking points or goals? And if it ends up being points, I think that's probably a little bit of a different discussion. And I think you also have to wonder about the Toronto Maple Leafs when making a bet like this and look at their recent playoff history and see that some of their brightest stars haven't necessarily produced in the biggest moments. I love Nikita Kucherov at nine to one, and I am dying over here, Frank. This you is you are uh, about this to is expire on, on air. Yeah, I'm going to quickly get through these picks so we can just get to Scott Burnside. <clears throat> Kucherov at nine to one Rangers minus a game and a half flames and Panthers parlayed. That's all I got in the tank, Frank. I will take it over from here. Now uh, I'll just give some more detail. Cause I do have your picks here um, at Kucherov nine to one to lead the series in goals. Pretty good. Considering Tampa's power play has been ridiculous. I'm with you a hundred percent on the New York Rangers minus one and a half games. It's a little bit of a different way of looking at it, but at plus 180, basically what you're looking for with the Rangers is um, to win that series in six games or fewer. That's your win. I know it sounds simplistic in saying that, but at plus 180, pretty decent odds for a team that has dominated that season series, won three games, especially in the last two months, out, outscored the Pittsburgh Penguins by a margin of 11 to four outshot the Pittsburgh Penguins by a margin of 153 to 72. So uh, they've been ridiculously good against Pittsburgh who just limped into the playoffs. And then finally you had uh, flames and Panthers minus one and a half parlayed at plus 177. Going out there on a limb a little bit, uh, taking two big favorites, though. And when you get them to win their game, their series in six games or fewer, both of them have to do that at plus 177. It's probably the only way, Tyler, to really find any sort of value when you're taking heavy favorites like that. Frank, I appreciate you being a good teammate there and, and stepping up for me. And with that, we wrap up our points bet segment. Shout out to Points Bet Canada. We have a bracket challenge up on our site. Go check it out and you can win some great prizes. Let's dig in to the Carolina Boston series a little bit now and welcome in our friend Scott Burnside, who is out in Raleigh right now to cover this series. And Scott, I want to ask you the big question in terms of I, I, well, the big question everyone wants to know here. Freddie Anderson, what's the status? Could he potentially be available for game one? <laughs> 
I, I think the bigger question is, are you getting to game one, Tyler? That's the bigger uh, question, I think. <laughs> the top of the hour, Scotty. I, I don't know what just happened. I, I am struggling right now. Um, but anyways. <laughs> uh, no. Anyway, back to your big question. And it is a good one. Although I will tell you, uh, it's become less. I'm a little bit surprised it's not a bigger story locally but i think that's a function of the depth of the carolina hurricanes how they finish the season this is the team that won the jennings trophy allowing the fewest goals during the regular season they had the number one penalty kill i don't think there is as much concern about the absence of frederick anderson even though he will in my books you know wouldn't be surprised if he ends up on the final pheasant or trophy ballot but certainly i'm expecting he'll be in the top five of the voting uh when the gms are done with that um and i think that's because um we've seen auntie ranta who is expected to start in game one tonight um 32 years old his first ever nhl playoff start but a veteran guy who's been very good and especially in the last half of this season been excellent and then of course the kid uh piotr kochekov uh, is, um, you know, came up uh, at the very end of the regular season, won his first three NHL games, two uh, as starter and one in relief. I, I know internally there was a lot of discussion with the Hurricanes. What's the best plan of attack? Assuming that Frederick Anderson is not going to be ready anytime soon. He was on the ice. Rod Brindamore, very... He touched the ice is how he described it on Sunday. I don't think you can affect Frederick Anderson in the short term. I don't think it matters to this team, though. They play the same way. They play with such great structure. They roll the four lines. They obviously have one of the, well, they have the best defensive team in the NHL, uh, top to bottom. Uh, so I don't think it matters that much uh, outside of uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, who's in goal, actually. Scott, when you take a look at the season series between these two teams and how the Hurricanes have absolutely pummeled the Bruins uh, throughout the season, give me a vibe check on the Hurricanes and their confidence level because they were really one of the most consistent teams throughout the regular season. And they kind of hit this spot in late March, early April, where they really weren't quite as good uh, to come down the stretch there's been a lot of people sort of knocking the Hurricanes, even though they won the division, while this team doesn't have a true superstar and they don't have the goods to go on a deep run. What's the confidence level like within that room, do you think? Yeah, you know what? I, I think it's really high and it all, you know, it starts and ends in Carolina with the defending Jack Adams trophy winner as coach of the year in Rod Brindamore. And it's it, it really is um it, you know, it permeates from Rod Brindamore, the belief in the system, the belief in his group. And, and there's no question they don't have an Austin Matthews. They don't have a Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon. That's true. I, I think in many ways, Boston and Carolina are fairly similar, right? I mean, the Bruins are, they have the experience. They have a future Hall of Famer, of course, and Patrice Bergeron. Their blue line is very solid, um, you know, in similar ways to the fact that the Canes blue line is very solid. So it's not like a, a, either of these teams has the traditional game breaker. I think the way that Carolina plays, though, and historically, they are better as the games go on. Their, their goal differential in the third period, is impressive. They're a team that doesn't quit. So um, I I think that's the that's where the confidence comes from. And I also think this is a team, you know, that I, I think they've learned. Right? They've been beaten by the Bruins in the playoffs two of the last three years. Once in the conference final in nineteen, and then in the first round. 
after the play-in round in 20, and of course lost to Tampa in the second round last year. Those are building block lessons, I think, for a team that really, you know, the core is very much the same. Um, I think this is one of those teams, we'll get to it in my bracket, but I think this is a team that is learning from its past playoff failures. It's a tough matchup against Boston first, but I kind of like it because of the playoff history there. I think this is a team that believes they can run the table. Scott, you, you know, there is a lot of talk, and Frank mentioned it, like, oh, the Canes maybe don't have that superstar level of player lower in the lineup though that's often you get these unsung heroes in the playoffs who can come through and yeah you don't need the superstar because you got a third liner who's on a crazy run who's maybe someone lower down in the canes lineup who you look at and go you know their best hockey might be coming in the next two three weeks here yeah it's a great question and we did uh, a whole range of dark horses uh, for daily faceoff. Uh, my pick for the hurricanes was just barry kokaniemi um was injured He's had a couple of bouts this year. It's been a little difficult for him, of course, after signing the offer sheet in the Montreal Canadiens. And, uh, you know, I think he felt a lot of pressure coming in with the big number. He's since signed uh, a big extension that brings his number back to a more manageable number, which um, which makes sense given how young he is and, and really where he's at in his evolution. But he's a big body, skates well. He's got good offensive skills. Um, he's played almost all in the middle, right? So he's, he's a natural centerman. And Montreal is a little bit bit different for him um i think he's a guy that is will gain confidence from playing in this system in the playoffs it's going to be different from what he experienced in montreal um he had three points in the first period of game 82 after uh missing a, a handful of games with injury down the stretch so the fact that he gets back in the lineup um he's going to get a little bit better matchup i think um playing in that third line fourth line role uh, for the Hurricanes, but he does have the goods, I think, to chip in important points, um, which I think is going to be critical in this series against Boston. All right, let's wrap it up with the big question then. Who wins and in how many games, Scott? I have the Hurricanes in six, and uh, I I'm, I'm feel pretty darn good about it right now, actually. There you go. Overtime, Scotty B. Appreciate your time. Enjoy this series, and we'll chat soon. Look forward to it. Great job, Scott. Now let's go to the Calgary Flames squaring off against the Dallas Stars. Pleased to welcome in Pat Steinberg from Sportsnet 960 as well as Flames Nation. And Pat, we're thrilled to have you contributing to Daily Faceoff throughout the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, focusing on the Calgary Flames. When you take a look at this series, Pat, and you look at the Flames and where they've been building towards this moment, we've talked a lot about pressure and some teams trying to get over the hump in the first round. What kind of pressure are the Calgary Flames facing to go on a deep run here? Yeah, there's, uh, there's a, a good amount of pressure, I think, boys. First of all, thanks for having me on. It's awesome being on. But yeah, I, I think that... Uh, I think that there's there's going to be a, a significant amount of pressure. And I, I say that because this group has been together as a core for a long time now. And they've been to the postseason as this core. If you throw Matthew Kachuk into the mix in 2017, 2019, and 2020, and they've won a combined three games. Um, and, and in those three playoff series, whether it's Johnny, whether it's Kachuk, whether it's Lindholm, well, they really haven't been the guys that they need to be in the postseason. And when you have a season like this, 
And when you have a season like this after what happened in 2019, I, I think the pressure re- level has, has been ramped up. Now, everyone around here, they just want to win around. Everyone around here just wants to go into this series playing well, which I think they did for the most part down the stretch. But I think outside of the organization, the, the buzz in the city and what people are talking about right now, there is a, a significant amount of pressure. And I think rightfully so, because not only do you have past playoff disappointments or past playoff failures, but you've also got two significant contracts that need to be signed and the specter of losing the most important player this season in unrestricted free agency. And so what happens this postseason might very well have a large impact on how that ends up going and how that ends up playing out. Tyler, we lost your mic there, it seems. Oh, there we go. Now we should have my mic back. 115 points for Johnny Goudreau, Pat. It, but every time like, I'll go on Twitter, I'll read a thread of Flames fans, and it's like, oh, he's got to do in the playoffs. He's got to do in the playoffs. So is Johnny Goudreau primed to have his playoff breakout coming off a career year in the regular season? I think if there's ever been a year, this is the year. And I, I say that because the line that he's playing on is maybe the best line we've seen the Calgary Flames have in in more than a decade. Like you're going back to Jerome McGinley in his time. The last time the Flames have had a line that have been this good. And it's not only that they have been contributing offensively, which they have. I mean, you're talking about 120 plus goals from those three guys, Lindholm, Kachuk, and Gaudreau. But you're also talking about fairly even zone deployment. You're talking about ridiculous uh, goals for percentage. Their possession metrics are off the chart. Their expected goals are off the chart. So this line is a legitimate top line, elite line in the NHL. And he's never really been on a line like this going into the playoffs. You know, even going back to 2020, he was on a line with Sean Monaghan and Elias Lindholm with Lindholm playing the right. And they just weren't the the same type of line. Uh, at that time, head coach Jeff Ward used them more in a sheltered role and tried to get them out against depth lines on the other side, whereas here, Daryl Sutter has no issue going head-to-head against the best lines on the other side, doesn't shelter their zone start. So so I think all those things, if there's ever been a year for Johnny Gaudreau to have that breakout, it's this year, but I understand it because he would, you go back to the, the bubble in 2020, one even strength point in that playoff round against Dallas. And and so you need your best player to have more than one even strength point in six games. So I get the questions. And until we see it, we don't know. But I'm feeling more confident about him being able to do it this year than, than in prior playoff years. Pat, I'm wondering who you think is the Flames' dark horse, maybe a little bit further down the lineup that can be a big playoff contributor. You look at uh, some of their trade deadline acquisitions. Tyler Toffoli has fit like a glove, but been a little bit curious to see the fit for Callie Yarncroak. He's four points in 17 games to close out the regular season after the trade. Probably hasn't been as much production there as people might have hoped. What can we expect from Yarncroak? And if he's not, who would be your dark horse? Yarn Krog would be one of them. I look at him as a, a guy who's been to a recent Stanley Cup final. I mean, it's five years ago now, but still a guy that has gone deep and has been on lots of playoff runs. And I actually think you take the numbers, like the, the counting numbers, the goals, it sits away. And Yarn Krog's actually, especially after two or three games coming off that sickness that he was dealing with, I think it was seven games of an illness. Um, and the last four or five games of the season really looked like the guy the Flames went out to get 
uh, driving play in the two-way game, and he was really strong defensively and even contributed some uh, some some good shifts offensively. I would give you I would give you three names at forward. Yarn Crow would be one of them. Blake Coleman would be another. Uh, they're playing on the same line right now. Coleman is. Let, let's be honest. They brought him in to help solidify the middle six. They brought him in to help give them more offensive depth. But more than anything else, or as much as anything else, they brought him in for the postseason. With what he did the last two runs with Tampa Bay, with how good he was for the Lightning in those playoff runs, they brought him in to be an impact player in the postseason. And he is really trending in the right direction. He's playing with edge. He's hitting everything that moves. It's like you can tell this guy has been in two straight long or on two straight long playoff runs because he knows what it takes to get ready at this time of year. And here's kind of the the number one dark horse for me, and that's Dylan Dubé. First of all, it's all actually it's all three guys in the same line. So you can throw the whole line out there as you see right there. But Dubé is historically very, very good in the postseason or when things are on the line. He was one of Calgary's breakout players in the bubble in 2020. You go back to his time in the Western League with Kelowna. You go back to his time representing Canada at the World Juniors. When games are on the line, this guy brings his best. And on top of that, had eight goals in the final nine games of the season, was confident, dynamic, looked like a completely different player. And he has been a healthy scratch them for three games kind of in the last third of the season. And ever since that uh, three-game healthy scratch run, he's been a completely different player. So I would go Dylan Dubé would be my number one dark horse of, of any of the guys on this team. Pat, let's wrap it up with your prediction and who's winning this thing and how many games. I'm going to go the uh, inverse of 2020. I do think Dallas is going to be tough. I do think when you've got guys like Pavelski, when you've got that line with, with Hintz, Pavelski, and Robertson, they've got some seasoned guys. Haskinen was unbelievable for them going to the Stanley Cup final in 2020, but I'm going to go the inverse of 2020. Uh, Flames in six. I just think they're deeper, and they're a little bit more seasoned, and I think they're going to learn from what happened in August 2020. Pat, appreciate your time. Pat Steinberg from Fan960 in Calgary and also Flames Nation. And now from Daily Faceoff as well. Enjoy the series, Pat. We'll chat later in the week. Thanks, guys. There we go. Let's move from a Western Conference series that's certainly intriguing out to the East. And Matt Larkin is going to join us to preview the New York Rangers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Frank, this is something the two of us have talked about a lot. You look at the betting websites. You look at a lot of statistical models. Some of them are give, are leaving the Pittsburgh Penguins as the favorites in this series. So I'm starting with that, Matt. Do you view the Penguins as a potential favorite in this series? Or do you look at the Rangers and go, no, they're the better team here? Which, How do you view this series from a general overview kind of perspective? I don't know what what uh, what happened there. We're having some technical difficulties with Matt Larkin and his audio. We'll see if we can try again in a second. Um, so, Tyler, I'm with you though. We we just yeah. talked about one of your best bets to start out um, the playoff series, and you're looking at it and you go, okay, 
The New York Rangers minus one and a half games, the way that they've dominated the season series, I pointed out some of those stats. Geez, um, it doesn't seem to be close yet. There's a there's a whole factor, I think, Tyler, in this series that you can't quantify. And it's the mm-hmm. experience factor for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Not only that, but some of the desperation that might exist. Everyone knows what the situation is there. Evgeny Malkin, pending unrestricted free agent. Same thing for Chris Letang on the blue line. Brian Rust, another key pivotal forward for this team. And no one knows, are all of these guys going to be back? Some of these guys, none of these guys. And so this sort of feels like the last dance, the last hurrah for a Pittsburgh Penguins core that has been together the same trio, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, for an NHL record 17 seasons and has experienced a ton of success, three Stanley Cups, four Stanley Cup final appearances. What do they have left in the tank? And my answer is, doesn't seem to be a whole lot when you look at the way this regular season wrapped up. Yeah, and, and I'm with you. Like, again, I get the whole, maybe the Rangers are a little inexperienced when it comes to playoff hockey, but I always say, you know, you're only inexperienced till you're not. Like, eventually, teams go on runs and gain that experience. And I look at the Rangers again on paper. Who has the edge between the pipes? It's the team with the Vesna Trophy winner on them. Who has the edge on the blue line? Okay, well, I think if you can have Adam Fox and Jacob Truba playing what 80 90 percent of the game for you at five on five you're probably in a pretty good spot there and then i also look up front where i thought their forward group was good early in the year and then frank when you look at the moves that chris drury made at the deadline i all of a sudden look at this rangers forward group and go they might be one of the deepest in the eastern conference yeah andrew cop has been amazing for the rangers and seems like he's going to be healthy for game one along with artemi panarin and you go cop 18 points in 16 games he's been outstanding but i also look at some of the growth that we've seen on an individual basis from guys like alexi lafreniere down the stretch he just looked like a different more confident player over these last couple months and so when you look at the rangers and and all the top flight top end talent that they have on their team you only really need one of those young guys to step up and, and really grab this series by the horns. And, and Lafreniere with his bigger frame certainly could be one of those players that begins yeah. to make his mark on this league in the playoffs. Capo Caco would be another guy. Um, they've had a lot of you know different positive bright spots for this Ranger team this year um, that I think really put this team in a spot to be a sneaky pick to go to the Eastern Conference Final and maybe hit this, uh, hit the ground running in the playoffs and go a little bit deeper than anyone had possibly expected. Maybe even the Rangers themselves as they've gotten the Gerard Gallant bump this year. And uh, I'll have more on that when I share my bracket a little bit later on. I got the Rangers winning in six, Frank. Who do, what do you have? Yeah, I've got the Rangers in five. I think there's a chance that this could be a sweep. Um, I don't, you know, as we've pointed out, the statistical models and everything else point this to being a really close, even series. I, I just don't see it that way on paper. I don't see it that way from an intangible perspective. Uh, we'll, we'll see if the Penguins can keep up. We are going to try get Matt Larkin on maybe by the end of the show to share his bracket with us. But Frank, we're going to keep uh, this train moving along here and preview our last series. Here's my favorite thing about this next guest. We've had three people now join us live from inside arenas. Chris Gear could not be further away from a hockey arena right now. He's got the beautiful backdrop. He's got the palm trees. The sun is shining. Chris Gear is here to preview the Colorado Avalanche 
taking on the Nashville Predators. Chris, this is an Avs team that looks like a juggernaut. This is a Predators team who's missing UC Soros between the pipes, at least for the start of the series. My question is simple. Do you give the Predators any shot in this series or are they going to be joining you on a nice sunny holiday in about eight days? Yeah, I think the latter. You go back to uh, Daryl Sutter saying whoever faced the Avalanche was going to have uh, it was going to be a waste of eight days, right? And you know, I, I think if the Preds had Saros in the lineup, they'd have a fighting chance. Uh, obviously, they played the Avalanche well during the season. They took the season series three to one, and I think I think they'd be a good matchup against the Avs. Just the way they play, the stifling, you know, one three one trap that they play, but. You know when you're when you're missing Saros and you've got to rely on Big Safe Dave, who's at uh, you know 886 save percentage. You know that's not going to get it done against a team like the Avs, who can score the way they do, and you know who have steamrolled competition for most of the year. Uh, the Avalanche limped into the playoffs a little bit, losing four of their last five, but you know they were missing some bodies. Um, the good thing for the Avalanche is they're totally healthy going in, or at least. You know, Landeskog, Kadri, and Bowen Byram all seem like they're uh, they're back for Game One. So, you know, I think this is a team that has uh, faced some playoff adversity in the last few years. They've been a a good team that has uh, lost in the second round, uh, I think, three seasons in a row. So they're 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 looking to emerge from that, and I think I think this is the year that that they do that, and um, probably. Uh, Probably a good way to start for them to play a banged up Nashville team and and get through that and uh, get on their way. Chris, it really is a mind boggling stat. Game one to open the playoffs for the Avs. It'll be the first time all season long that they have an entirely healthy lineup. Everyone will be in their proper place. But with that and the expectations that the Avs have come some pressure. You've been in an NHL front office before. You've been in the playoffs. You understand what this feeling is like going into it. And for an Avs team that, as Nathan McKinnon said, after last season ended, he doesn't have anything to show for his career how much do you think that pressure of going on a deep run will impact the abs as they move along? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely there. I mean, I think back to 2010-11 when the Canucks steamrolled everyone through the regular season and then uh, had to go to Game 7 against Chicago. And I don't think I've ever felt nerves like that heading into that Game 7. So, you know, I think the Avs will feel some of that pressure. They know that they have to do better than they've done in the past couple of years. They know they have the roster to do it and that they may not be able to keep that roster together moving forward just as, as new contracts are needed. So, you know, it's a big year for them. But, uh, you know, I, I think if they can, as I said, they get through the first round having an opponent that comes in a little banged up, um, that'll be, you know, that'll be a little bit of a, a monkey off their back and just give them confidence going into round two. So, uh, you know, definitely, definitely they will feel pressure and, and Nathan McKinnon has put it on himself. And I think uh, he's somebody that really needs to prove to himself and to the league that he can carry a team and, and get them to where they want to be. I, I think we hear a bit of like a bird chirping or something in the background, Chris, yeah. as much as I would love to break down on the species and things like that. <laughs> I, I'll instead ask for your breakdown on what do you think happens here? How quick is this series? Basically, how many games do the Avs win this in? Yeah, I mean, it, it very easily could be a sweep. Uh, I think in my bracket, I put five games. I think, you know, Nashville's a scrappy team. They're, they they hit more than anyone in the league. Uh, they've got that that third line that's really scrappy with Tanner Janot and Sissons and Trennan. Like, I, I think this is a team that can frustrate the Avalanche. 
and they'll give them fits. And I think they steal a game. Uh, but you know, with again, without Saros, I think it's uh, I think it's over pretty quickly. So I'm I'm picking the Abs in five games. Chris, we'll be welcoming you back in about uh, five ten minutes here to give us your entire bracket. Uh, until then, you keep enjoying that sunshine out on that beautiful right. balcony, and uh, we'll switch into bracket mode here, Frank, as we have now previewed all eight series in the first round, four of which get going tonight, seven Eastern. It's going to be very exciting. I will. Uh, I'll start with this one. I'll throw it over to you, Frank. Let's let's take a peek at your bracket. Let's see what you got going on. Let's see how you have the Minnesota Wild going all the way because you teased it earlier. Yeah, it's probably a bit shocking for some people to see me pick the Wild. Um, you know, I, I have the Wild giving you know the Colorado Avalanche, as I said, all that they can handle and more. Um, I think they've been one of the hottest teams in the league over the last six to eight weeks. They've got the goaltending. They've got the heaviness up front. They've got the superstar in Kirill Kaprizov, and they've got a mobile back end. And so that's a pretty winning formula. Um, and, and I take a look at, the, you know, expect the unexpected. It'd be easy to pick the Abs to win or for the Florida Panthers to go all the way. I have them meeting the Minnesota Wild in the Stanley Cup final. But for me, you know, something happens every year that we don't see coming. And the Wild... You know, perhaps we should be paying attention. The fifth best record in the league overall. And as I said, one of the hottest teams in the league over the last bit. I just think they have a lot of the core components needed to win. They've got a little bit of swagger there, too. And, and I think that confidence goes a long way. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting breakdown. The thing that's just it, brackets, it'll be like March Madness. Brackets will be busted in 10 days when you look at just how many of these. Very first well, rounds. maybe. They're so tight. Like, I, I think Toronto, Tampa, you're basically looking at a coin flip. I think Minnesota, St. Louis, you're basically looking at a coin flip. And we touched on this earlier, you know, uh, you, or sorry, you touched on this earlier today, today with the DFO rundown. A lot of brackets, they're usually pretty chalky. And every year, one team just absolutely comes out of nowhere and stuns us. No one saw the Montreal Canadiens going to the Stanley Cup final next year. I should say very little people would have filled out a bracket with the Habs playing for the Stanley Cup. So why not every the year, Yeah, like why why can't that be the Minnesota Wild? I think you're right. Like the numbers can certainly back it up. Um, I'll tie that into my bracket. And if you want to talk about chalk, I, I'm taking it here. Like I, I think this very well could be the Colorado Avalanche year, that first round matchup. I love taking them to get out of there against Nashville, obviously. I do agree that Minnesota and St. Minnesota can beat St. Louis. I just worry, and this, is, it, this isn't even always necessarily what happens, but if Minnesota and St. Louis beat the crap out of each other, for lack of a better phrase, and they get to the second round, and Colorado is finally healthy, and they're a little bit more rested, could that give them a bit of a leg up? I do have the Battle of Alberta in the second round, Frank, and I'm doing this as a way to manifest it into existence because I want you up here in Edmonton hanging out with me in person for a little bit. Um, and I have the Oilers coming out of that series, but I basically view it as a coin flip. Florida, I think mainly everyone who shares their bracket here is going to have the Florida Panthers coming out of that series. And I have them beating the Leafs in the second round, but again, Florida's goaltending, maybe it leaves you with a bit of a question mark. It certainly does for me. Leafs maybe in that same boat, but I think Florida's good enough to get to the conference finals. And then maybe if you want to call it the, the spot where I'm not just picking the chalk in this bottom part here, where I do have the Bruins 
beating the Hurricanes. I have the Rangers beating the Penguins. And I actually have the Rangers going all the way. We just we know how important goaltending is in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We know that if you don't have it for one or two games in a best of seven, which usually happens, if your goalie can steal you one of those games, you're in a great spot for success. So I, I like taking the Rangers to go all the way. And then I eventually have them bowing out to the juggernaut Colorado Avalanche, the points bet betting odds favorites at plus 350. Um, but I think Colorado, New York is a very, very realistic Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Let me ask you this, though. What makes you think the New York Rangers can knock off the Florida Panthers? I have more faith in the goaltending of the New York Rangers, and I love their forward depth. I think it can go toe to toe with the Florida Panthers. And, you know, there's just not a lot of other teams that I see that from the ability to throw over a top nine that you can trust in sort of any kind of situation. And then Igor Shesterkin, like he's just had so many stretches this year where he's unbeatable. I just, if that stretch comes over the course of eight days against the Panthers and he steals a couple that maybe the Rangers don't necessarily deserve, they'll be in a great spot to win that series. So I, I just think goaltending is such a big part of it. But we've also seen a lot of times, Frank, where the young goalie comes in and crumbles under the pressure of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Maybe that's not the right wording to use, but... That will be just doesn't quite enough. live up to it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like just doesn't quite live up to the hype that maybe built up during the regular season. But we've also seen young goalies go on crazy runs, right? Like their their seasons. I mean, you would remember the one from Philly where it was Michael Leighton and Brian Boucher, right? Who managed to take that team all the way to the end. You could go back to 06 with Cam Ward as well. Sometimes the young guys, it just doesn't phase them and the adrenaline kicks in and they're able to carry a team. Yeah, no doubt. Let's uh, let's go back to uh, that warm, sunny balcony. Chris Gear yeah. will have you run through your bracket. Chris, uh, who do you have winning it all? I have Colorado winning it all. Uh, I was a little nervous a couple of times uh, taking them over the wild. I actually uh, agonized over that one a bit. I think your pick is solid, Frank. Uh, but I did go with Colorado getting through the wild and then facing Calgary. And uh, in the East, I like the Rangers pick too. I think that's a good one by Tyler. But uh, Florida and uh, Tampa was the one that I really, I almost flipped a coin on that one. Uh, picked the experience and the goaltending with Vasilevsky for Tampa to come through and then Tampa to face Colorado in the final. And I think, you know, the Eastern Conference, those teams are going to beat each other up so badly. Uh, I, thought, I thought the Avalanche maybe had a little bit easier path in the Western conference and they might be a little, a little fresher and not as worn down for the finals. And I think this is the year they, uh, they get through and win the big one, but uh, three or four teams I could have picked. It's going to be exciting hockey for sure. Chris, you take a look at the battle of Alberta there in the second round, Tyler had the Oilers, you had the flames. I have the flames. That's another series that could also be a pretty tight uh, coin flip type series. Why do you like the Flames to come out ahead? You know, part of it is Markstrom. I think he's he is the better goalie of the two. Um, but also, I just, you know, the Flames under Daryl Sutter, they know how to play that that winning style hockey, that shutdown defensive style hockey. And yet they have, you know, five guys that can put up huge points. So, you know, I think the discipline and Sutter's, Sutter's style, I actually picked the Flames in. I think it was five in this one or, or six anyway. I, I don't think they're going to have as much trouble with Edmonton as people think. Sorry, Tyler. But, um, you know, I really like the Flames this year. I think they, they're a very well-constructed team, uh, forwards, back end, and, and Markstrom. So, I, uh, 
you know, I almost picked them to beat Colorado as well. So it's, I, I think, I think the Flames could go far. And um, you know, the, the Oilers obviously have the high end talent, but I just don't think their their roster is as deep enough. So I think, I think the Flames get through pretty easily. Perfect. Appreciate you sharing the bracket, Chris. Appreciate the breakdown. I'm happy we're both on the New York Rangers bandwagon together here through the spring. Uh, let's keep moving along here and uh, let's get to our guy, Scott Burnside, out in Raleigh, North Carolina. Again, bringing back in Scott. The floor is yours. Break down this bracket for us. Tell us who you have winning it all and how they're getting there. All right. I, I'm going to start, though, by saying in 2019, I managed to go 0 for 8 in the first round. 0 for 8. And uh, I'm not I'm not saying that this could happen again, but I just I want to be totally transparent about um, my history of picks. But um, I I I had I I approached this with also remembering I went 0 for 8, but also understanding that there is some chaos always in the first round of the playoffs. And and I was looking at teams that I felt could build momentum from the first round moving forward. And that's why if you jump ahead to my, my final, listen, the St. Louis Blues are in absolutely, they're in it against Minnesota. That series, I know you guys were talking about it earlier, and I think Frank used the term Titanic. I did the breakdown for it. Uh, it I can't wait to see what happens because there are two um, they they play so well and they're they're interesting teams and they're well coached. Um, and I went with St. Louis based on just maybe the experience of winning a cup in 2019. Um, I think they're a team that maybe realized that they couldn't just mail it in. They've looked miserable in the last two years in the playoffs um, after winning the cup. So I went with St. Louis in game seven in that first round. I just felt that they could build momentum and beat Colorado uh, in a second round matchup. Um, I, I love the battle of Alberta, of course, who won't love that dynamic um, experience there. I think, frankly, Calgary may have its hands full with Dallas in the first round. I think Edmonton's going to get their feet under them. I think they're going to, to beat the Kings fairly handily. And I think they're going to come into that second round uh, with a ton of confidence. You know, listen, it, it all begins and ends with Mike Smith and whether he can keep up his magical play of the last month or five weeks. I think he can. Um, and I, I think that's a, a going to be a terrific second round series. Um, you go back to the East, you know, at some point Toronto has to win a playoff round, right? I mean, they, don't they? So, and at some point, Tampa has to lose a playoff round, don't they? And I just thought this is, you know, maybe this is it in the first round uh, this year. So I went that way. Um, and I figured, again, if Toronto can do that, I, I figure that they can carry that forward, beat Florida in what would be an epic second round um, offensive uh, score fest. Um, I know a lot of people uh, like the Bruins to beat Carolina. It's sort of a 50-50 proposition. I do think this Carolina team is built for the long haul. That second round series against the New York Rangers, though, that would be so much fun. Given the youthful Rangers, I love the additions that Chris Drury made at the trade deadline. Uh, they're going to be a very difficult out. Um, and who knows who's in goal for the Hurricanes if they get that far. Could be could be any of their three goalies. Um, and then uh, 
you know, uh, Toronto, Carolina in the conference final. I thought Calgary, St. Louis uh, conference final. Uh, this is, um, you know, really you could pick any of those, but I did go with Carolina and St. Louis into the final and, and Carolina to win their first cup since 06. So there you go. There you have it. <laughs> so, Scott, I had uh, the exact same Eastern Conference final before the season started. Um, you know, I figured Toronto would find a way to bounce back. Didn't know necessarily, obviously, then that they'd have to go through um, two of the top teams in the East in Tampa and Florida. So they certainly have their work cut out for them. Um, what makes you think that the Hurricanes can get over the hump, you know, given some of the questions that we had about this team not having a superstar, not having that sort of transcendent player that can take a game over? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we've seen it, you know, a little bit in the past. I think of St. Louis and their, um, you know, march to a um, their first ever franchise victory in 2019. And I think the teams are fairly similar um, in terms of, you know, that Blues team in 2019, it was about rolling the four lines. And, you know, obviously Ryan O'Reilly was, you know, he was exceptional, full value for his Smythe Trophy win in 2019. But you don't think of Ryan O'Reilly as being a game breaker. And I think of, you know, David Perron and the contributions he made there, obviously Vladimir Tarasenko. Um, I look at this Carolina Hurricanes team. I sat down actually with Jordan Stahl yesterday and had a long chat about what it's been like for him as the captain here. And, you know, he's playing with Jesper Fast and Nino Niederreiter. And that line is has been incredible. They played together pretty much the whole year. That's sort of their identity line. And, you know, again, I'm not saying they're that's a game-breaking line. But I think series after series, they're the kind of line – they can really set the tempo. They, you know, Jordan Stahl has really been on fire offensively after a very difficult offensive season, you know, through the first 60 games or so. Um, again, they're about that contributions from up and down the lineup. So uh, I, I do think that they have enough pieces to overcome a team that is a little bit more top heavy in Toronto. Uh, I think that they would be able to exploit the relative youthfulness of the New York Rangers, especially the Rangers back end. Um, I think that's where they could um, exploit the Rangers and move on from a second round series there. You know, the goaltending is going to be huge. There's no question about it. But I do believe, as I said earlier, I don't think the team plays any differently. You know, uh, whether it's the kid, whether it's Auntie Ronta, whether it's Frederick Anderson, uh, I don't think they play any different. And I think that's a real testament to the system in, in, that Rod Brindamore has. And there is a real strong belief in this team that they are building toward um, not just uh, making the playoffs every year, but being an elite team every year. And I think they're real close. Perfect, Scott. Appreciate your time. Appreciate the insight. Appreciate the bracket breakdown as well. We're going to keep moving along here. And we do have a connection to Matt Larkin just in time for him to share his bracket with us. Uh, Matt, same deal. Who you got winning? How are they getting there? Oh, I'm back, boys. Thank you for getting me back on here. It's playoffs, right? It's about overcoming adversity. You play hurt, you play with a bad microphone, and you get it fixed. You soldier on. So I'm ready to give you my bracket, okay? I'm very bullish on the Calgary Flames. They're not my Stanley Cup pick, but I think they are going to be the surprise team of this tournament. They have all the elements. I wrote a story on Daily Faceoff earlier this month, or last month, rather, breaking down the characteristics of Stanley Cup teams 
They play heavy hockey. They have good special teams, good penalty kill. They have just a, a little bit of Stanley Cup experience. Of course, Blake Coleman, Daryl Sutter as well. Of course, great goaltending, dominant star power. They have every little characteristic, I think, that makes them a candidate to upset the Colorado Avalanche. So if we follow that path, starting with the Calgary Flames, the Dallas Stars, I think, are going to be a fairly tough out. They're an experienced team. We know they have the dynamite top line with Jason Robertson, Rupe Hintz, Joe Pavelski. Miro Heiskin is going to play 30 minutes a night, I'm sure. Jake Gottinger, I think, is going to be close to equal to Jacob Markstrom and net, but the Flames are just a much deeper team. That's why I have them beating Dallas. If you look at Minnesota St. Louis, that's the series everyone's talking about, the two hottest teams in the league going in, in that part of the central bracket. But to me, the, the Blues are a paper tiger. Not everyone agrees with that, but if you look, this supposed hot streak was not really a hot streak. The Blues are playing terrible defensive hockey. They've been one of the, the worst defensive teams in the NHL the entire season. They are the worst defensive team in the playoffs. They've been bailed out by Billy Husso. They had very lucky shooting percentage. Meanwhile, the Minnesota Wild, I think, are a much more complete team, a deep team, very deep top to bottom. They have so many different lines that blend scoring and agitation. Guys like Joel Erickson, especially, I think they're going to step up their game in the playoffs. Great choice of goaltenders, of course, whether it's Marc-Andre Fleury or Cam Talbot, you're set. So I think the Wild are going to pull the victory there. Colorado, Nashville, it's going to be the most lopsided series of the first round. I know the Predators are a tough team. They play the most physical brand of hockey in the NHL. They lead the league in hits, fights, penalties, you name it. But UC Soros either is not going to be in this series or he's going to come back too soon. We know that the trajectory of the injury we heard, it's as much as six weeks, eight weeks. There's whispers he's going to try to make a comeback in the series, but I think it'll be too soon. The Avalanche are just too stacked top to bottom. They're going to get through. I think the Oilers and Kings could be a lopsided series as well. The Kings are kind of the happy to be their team. And I think they're going to probably go with Jonathan Quick because of the history of playoff success in net, but he's not the goaltender he was. Cal Peterson didn't step up in net. And I think the Oilers, they've been getting surprisingly great goaltending down the stretch from Mike Smith. They have the star power to get through. So they get through, which means we get the battle of Alberta, which I'm so excited about. But again, Flames, deeper team top to bottom, younger in terms of looking at the goaltending situation. I think Markstrom is more built to hold up for the whole playoffs compared to Mike Smith. They get through. That sets up Colorado, Calgary, as the big clash in the Western Conference Final. And I just think the Flames are built for that tougher brand of hockey under Daryl Sutter. They're a bit sturdier defensively, top to bottom. I think they get past Colorado. They make it to the final. In the East, of course, the Florida Panthers, to me, I picked them in the summer. They've been my team all year long. I think they're the deepest team in the NHL, top to bottom, every single line, every defense pair. I know there are some questions in net with Sergei Bobrovsky, but guess who was the rookie of the month for April? It was Spencer Knight. So there is a safety net there. We know they went to him in the playoffs last year. He comes in, started two elimination games. I think Knight can come in if necessary. If Bobrovsky falters, he can pull a Cam Ward, a Jordan Bennington, a Matt Murray. We've seen what rookie goaltenders can do in the playoffs. So they get through. Leafs Lightning, that is a very close series. I think it's going to come down to goaltending. The Leafs might be the better team now on paper. They have improved so much defensively in the last couple of years. They're amazing offensively, but it's Andre Vasilevsky versus Jack Campbell. I know Campbell was better down the stretch, but Vasilevsky is Vasilevsky. He's the best money goaltender in the NHL. Campbell has to be absolutely perfect to stay with Vasilevsky in this series. It's going to be close, maybe seven games, but I think Tampa gets through. I still think Tampa, they've played so much hockey, 48 playoff games the last two years. So the Panthers, I think, 
they have less mileage on the tires they get through as well. On the other side, the Metro side of the bracket, I think Carolina finally gets past the rooms. They're just too deep top to bottom. The Bruins are more top heavy. Carolina can roll so many different lines. They just play such a great team game. They get through the New York Rangers. Analytics say they're not as good of a team as the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they're very reliant on their power play, but they have the star power. And Igor Shesterkin, to me, more than any other player in the entire playoffs can steal a series. That powers the Rangers past the Penguins. I think the Rangers, again, to Misha Sterkin, I could see him stealing more than one round. We know there are question marks with health in net for Carolina and Toronto, the starter for now. He's injury prone as well. The Rangers get through, but the Panthers are the better team. The Rangers' tendencies, they struggle five on five. That catches up to them against the Panthers. We get the Panthers in flames in the final. It's going to be close, seven-game series, but the most talented team in the NHL, the Panthers, they win the Stanley Cup. So that is my rant, and that is my bracket. Matt, the only one to pick the Panthers so far. Really interesting. Uh, glad you could sh- uh, soldier through that and get your mic working again. Uh, great to have you part of the show. Let's bring in Mike McKenna now to wrap it all up. Mike, what do you like? Uh, glad to see you back in the show as well, Mike. Uh, who is your bracket winner? Well, I ended up still going with the Calgary Flames, and they've been my horse for a while now at this point. I thought a couple months ago that the Pittsburgh Penguins would be a little bit of a dark horse candidate of mine to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. And at this point, I do not have that happening. In fact, I have the New York Rangers knocking out the Pittsburgh Penguins in six games in the first round. I didn't like how Pittsburgh has matched up against the Rangers this year. They've dropped several games in a row to them. And I think the Shesterkin factor is real. He's been phenomenal against Pittsburgh. And the additions that Chris Drury made to that Rangers team at the deadline, bringing in Kopp and Mott and Vetrano beforehand, and even Braun on defense, to me has given them a big time boost and an edge over a team in Pittsburgh that didn't play great down the stretch. They have Casey DeSmith in goal and they just added Ricard Raquel as a forward. That was their big addition at the deadline and he's done well, but I don't think it's had the same effect as the aforementioned names in New York. Have to see if Cop is in the lineup as well as Mott, but I took them there. Uh, other teams in the East, Frank, other matchups. I think that Toronto Tampa Bay is so intriguing, but Tampa's playing phenomenal hockey. Some of their last games of the year, putting up six, seven, eight goals at a time against good clubs. So um, I'm picking Tampa Bay over Toronto there and uh, the rest of the groups here. Let's see. Uh, Florida and six over Washington. To me, I just think Florida is such a dynamic offensive team. It makes sense. My pick in the East, though, I got Carolina in four games over Boston. Okay, I don't like making plain Jane picks where you go six or seven for everybody. I think Carolina's going to wax Boston and it's all over quick. Uh, if you want to flip it to the West here real quick, we're going to take a look there. And I've got Colorado in five games over Nashville. I don't see Nashville putting up much of a fight. They play hard. I think they'll grab one. St. Louis, seven games over Minnesota. That to me is going to be the blockbuster of the West. I'm taking St. Louis purely on their scoring ability and in clutch situations. And then you go towards Dallas and Calgary. I think Calgary handles that in five. But I think it's going to be a closer series than people think. Dallas has played good teams hard. They may get more than five, but I think Calgary, especially with that top line of Goudreau, Lindholm, and Kachuk will really be able to carry the offensive side of things in that series. And then Edmonton, LA. I've got Edmonton in six. 
And I actually think in this situation that a little bit of adversity would really serve the Oilers well. I think that if they drop a game or two, they're going to learn about themselves an awful lot. They've got to stick to the game plan against the Kings. The Kings can win this series, though, if they check hard, if they forecheck as hard as they can, if they hold pucks in the neutral zone. So that's my first round, Frank. But it all leads to Calgary taking the title at the very end. Really interesting, Mike. Uh, so glad to have your picks and everyone else's. Uh, Tyler, wow. Um, I don't, you know, you look at everything that could take place here over these next eight weeks or so, and the only thing I can think of today is happy playoffs. This playoff preview show was like drinking out of a fire hose and considering the state of my throat for about 15 minutes, I actually could have used a drink out of a fire hose. Uh, shout out to all eight of our analysts, Chris Gear, Mike McKenna, Pat Steinberg, Jason Greger, Ryan S. Clark, David Alter, Scott Burnside, and Matt Larkin. Our technical producer, Alex Allard, who just did a mm, chef's kiss job behind the scenes, making sure we stayed on the rails. And Frank, fantastic insight. We'll be here throughout the entire Stanley Cup playoffs. Noon Eastern, a daily face-off show every single day. Until then, enjoy game one of the Stanley Cup finals. Keep it locked on Daily Faceoff. We'll talk soon. Thanks for watching the Daily Face-Off Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.